y'all I have made a mistake. Instead of pre-recording, I'm in a pickle now. We've had a couple of um, emergencies here around the house and so now I'm having to kind of push it and I'm having to push it through a bit of grief. My ex-husband died last night and he was a really good man. He's the father of my oldest son and he cared very much about me and about him and about my other children too. He was sort of like an angel on the earth that could not handle this world. Bit broken. No, he was horribly broken. The details of what happened between us are absolutely private, but I will say, there was never a finer human being than the man who gave me my oldest son. I remember in the early 90s, maybe 1990 or 1991, I wanted a garden, and I was very young, Didn't understand exactly what that might take. We had a little house that had been a canning factory in the Civil War. And it didn't have a lot of land to it, but it had a nice, clean backyard in full sun. And one day, he came home, and following behind him was a full-size tractor with a plow attached. And he dug up that entire backyard for me. I remember being pregnant with his son, wearing my little hat and overalls and my little girl playing around my feet as I picked cucumbers and cantaloupe. And it was honestly one of the most beautiful and innocent times of my entire life. And I have not had a lot of those. I don't have time to grieve today fully. Um, And I figure when you've known somebody that long, I may be grieving him for a long time. He was one of the very first people outside of my grandmother to actually love me. And regardless of any of the rest of what he would consider his failures in life, he did an awful lot of good teaching me what pure love looked like. Last fall, we were finally able to go up to that place in North Alabama, and my son was able to meet his father. When we divorced, he was roughly 18 months old. And it was very difficult. He was in horrible pain. He was dying. And some of this is too private to actually go into, so I'll kind of skimmy around it. But in that moment, it felt exactly like goodbye. And I told him that he did the best he could. And he gave me the most beautiful, noble, warrior son that I could have possibly asked for. Sometimes these moments... They're pretty bittersweet. And it looks like there's going to be another soul honored on November 1st at my home. Couldn't do better than that one. We have one hell of a guardian. But I remember something he taught me a long, long time ago. Back when I had long black hair. And uh, well before my mother made fun of my accent, forcing me to try to kill it in my mouth. My ex-husband taught me... And I really hate calling him that because he was also my friend. You know, we need better words. But he taught me 
to watch out for people who would suck the life out of me. He was not the only one who told me that people are either going to love me or hate me. And if I took my love away, if I closed down and put up boundaries, that they might try to outright kill me because it's awfully cold out there. Now, this is the experience I hear from people, not one that I actually am proud of owning. Regardless of whether it's true or not, I sometimes have to close down. I sometimes have to take care of me and mine. And it might mean that I get attacked. And it has. But he warned me. I wish I had learned this a little bit better all those years ago. I'm married to a literally beautiful man right now. We have been together 11 years. And the way he loves me, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying so, reminds me very much of the man I lost last night. And in fact, he was gracious and noble enough to go with us last fall with my son and met my ex-husband, who promptly made fun of his cowboy hat (laughs) and his youth. My husband is 15 years younger than me, but he did so from his deathbed. It was a long death. And my husband was gracious enough to take it. They don't know how much they remind me of each other. And the one thing I'm pretty sure they share is that they both knew I had a deep well inside of me. And I needed to be loved a little too much to feel it. I am lucky. Two men have loved me that way. Wherever you are today, let me tell you how wonderful it is to put down resentment And love the person you spent time with. Possibly even nourish a friendship with them. And then there's the southern fried husband. Bless his heart. I cannot imagine what it's like to try to love me. My dear husband has warned me that people will also try to eat me alive. And I have this horrible propensity to not defend myself. I mean, it's it's a southern thing. I'm not really good at coming out of that closet and saying this isn't true or that isn't true if somebody wanted to do a bit of a campaign against me they're going to get it I tend to put my head down and let it happen now I don't do that when it's about my children or when it's about a cause I believe in which right now is immigration Um, I have so many beautiful friends from Mexico I will lose my ever-loving shit on someone right now over that issue. But when it comes to me, and I don't know if I'm the only one out there, please do let me know if you're like this too. I won't defend myself that hard. I'll let it happen. I feel like that kind of energy that I could put into that could be better spent somewhere else. And also, my grandma used to say, you know... It's none of your business what people are talking about. It's none of your business, even if it's your name. And I agree with that. It's none of my business. I have more important fish to fry. But last night, while he was dying, and I did not know that he was dying until this morning, while he was actually in the middle of that, my husband and I were sitting on the front porch. We had an exhausting weekend. I had to put up an exhibit of some sort. I'm going to leave that out as well, who that was for. But we had to do it in 120 degree heat. And uh, it was it was pretty harsh <laughs> in that barn. 
And when we got through the weekend, we needed to just sit on the porch. He needed a beer. I needed a glass of wine. And I was feeling extraordinarily melancholy. I should have been more in tune. I should have known that my dear friend was dying. But in retrospect, he wouldn't have let me know anyway. He would have not wanted to hurt me. And while I was sitting there talking about a few things that had been going on that kind of hurt me, that have to do with other people, my husband reminded me of a dream that my mother had. That dream resonated with me so much when I was a little girl. Um, She told me about it. She told me about a lot of things when I was too young to understand them. And this one was about a hound dog. It wasn't until last night, and I really would like to know the exact time of death of my friend. I, I will find that out today. But I wonder if it wasn't right then that I realized the story of the hound dog was about a narcissist. Most narcissists will call you a narcissist if you try to get away from them. It's very insidious. If you are in any kind of relationship with a narcissist and you don't have enough experience on how to get away, you probably need to get professional help. This isn't because you're weak or that there's something wrong with you, but it's difficult. They're very good at what they do. And unless they want to change and actually realize who they are, they won't be able to. But I digress, like I always do. Let me tell you the dream of the hound dog. So my mother said that she was walking in her dream in a field. And there were trees and there were flowers. And she was fairly happy. And she heard a hound dog howling. And it sounded like it was in horrible pain. So she kept walking toward the sound. The closer it got, the more urgent it felt. So she began to run. And when she finally saw this tree in the distance, she realized the hound dog was in the tree. It was up on a limb in the tree. And it saw her and it said, I need you. Come here. Help me. So my mother took a step toward it and realized that the ground was uneven under her feet and looked down. In front of her was a wide culvert, deep like a very intense ditch, and she'd almost fallen into it. And she looked back up at the hound dog, and it was beginning to wail. And she felt this pull to get to that hound dog to help it. But then she looked back down into the ditch and saw all the people that had come before her. And they were laying there, this is pretty horrific, so hold on to your hat, drained of all their blood. And then she looked back up at the hound dog, and saw that it had bulging veins. It was full of blood. And it said, I need you. I'm starving. And then she woke up. Now I'm going to leave out the way I feel about my mother (laughs) in this particular instance. And I would very much like to remain grateful for her telling me this story. It was pretty disturbing at nine. Nine years old is way too young to hear this story. It was way too young to do a lot of things, Mama. But it has stayed with me. And I literally cannot tell you. You know, you see these memes, and um, I know you're going to know what I'm talking about. These medieval ones. And it's something like, Behold, 
my field of fox, it is barren or something, you know? Well, behold, my field of hound dogs in trees. They smell it on you that you'll give them too much. They get very angry if you close them down. So let's talk about that. Do you have a hound dog in a tree? Now, I want to be really clear. I have a part hound dog, and she's laying on the couch right behind me, and she's about the sweetest thing in the entire free world. This is an analogy, y'all, and hound dogs shouldn't be in trees. Let's just talk about the age-old problematic statement of, I can change them. You want to try that? I do. I do not believe for one instant you could change a vampire hound dog in a tree. (laughs) If she had gone over that culvert, over that ditch, she would have ended up in the same place as everyone else had. But what is it in us that believes we can do this kind of thing? Is it because we thought in a flickering light once we saw potential in another human being? Is it because we remember something that they did once that was good? Maybe even kind. It can be very confusing. I think the most important thing is to not focus on the narcissist in our lives, but more to focus upon how we are participating because we are culpable too. I've had several therapists in my life because I'm not one of those people who believes that that is uh, a weakness of any kind. In fact, I think it's a weakness not to go if you can find a way to do so. And I was very lucky. I'm close to a university that offers that at a sliding scale. One of the things my therapist taught me was that children of narcissists, we really don't have a lot of space. We very well can become them ourselves. I have to be honest with you. I've spent about 30 years of my 53 replicating Every last bit of that narcissistic tendency. Occasionally in my 40s, I slip back into that behavior. Can you imagine what it's like to finally realize that you have become the thing that was the monster in your childhood? It can't be easy. It wasn't for me. That not everything is about you? Not good stuff, man. But you know what? It can lead to good stuff. And while this could really get into a boundaries conversation, I feel like I've kind of beat that dog near to death and I don't like beating dogs. So I think it's a little bit more complicated than a boundary. A narcissist can be related to you. A narcissist can be the thing in your head. A narcissist could be your own child. It's just not as simple as boundaries. Boundaries need to come into play. But this is going to be way more painful. Personally, I have dealt with women trouble my entire life. I had issues with my mother growing up. I had a wonderful, strong hero in my grandma. But I had difficulty in my relationship with my mother. And that is putting it very lightly. Never felt loved. Never felt accepted. And that was replicated within the family structure. So I've had deep trouble trusting women my entire life. This means that I'm also an easy mark for a narcissist. All they have to do is what she did when I was young. All they have to do is say, 
I need you, and I'm toast. It always starts the same way. I try to provide all the love and all the acceptance that I was missing as a child. It's not enough. I push deeper. It's not enough. Soon, they're trying to control who I know, who I'm friends with, who I can spend time with. They become very angry and combative with any other woman around me. They want them all removed. I try to satisfy their needs while feeling horribly guilty about carving out other people because they're all echoing a voice in my head from when I was maybe five, six years old. It's a button and they're pushing it. And maybe they don't even know they're doing it, but something in them senses it because they're hound dogs, hound dogs and trees. Of course, they will find out every weak spot you have. You think you're helping them. You think you're saving them. They're busy making a list. When you finally, if you can, get the strength to extricate yourself from something like this, you will get pushback. They already know every single weakness and they're going to hurt you with it. They thought they had you. They thought you were wrapped up, baby girl. They're going to blow up your world, honey. I'm fairly sad that it took me until my age to realize that I was replaying this pattern over and over and over with every woman I knew. It never escaped my attention that most of the men in my life were my friends and that women were difficult for me. Even if they were healthy women, I was terrified of them. Now I understand that the key thing here is to recognize our own, I don't want to say sickness, weak places, so that we can also recognize how we participate with these kinds of people. They can take your magic. They can suck your life. But we allow it, you see. And even though the cost might be great, to cut them off, to finally stand and say no. Think about what the cost will be in two, three, four years, ten. Because living for a hound dog is the nastiest kind of magic there is. Now we have talked before, or at least I have, about my distaste for polarizing words when it comes to magic. Black magic, white magic, good witches, bad witches. These kinds of words do us no service at all. They were all born wholly of a Christian theology that pitted things like good and bad and black and white, whore and angel, all up against each other. They're not tenable. Try to explain this to a bird. Try to explain this to a tree. They're not even natural. However, sickness can cause nasty things. We know this. We've seen people that we would consider, for lack of a better term, evil. But those people are easy to spot. Those people aren't usually the hound dog in the tree. You see, the hound dog in the tree is ill. It would be akin to a rabid dog. 
Just because you have a mad dog, does that mean that that dog inherently in its soul is a horrible dog? An evil dog? Well, I suppose if you read the book Cujo, like I did when I was a little girl, you might actually think that. But we all know it's not completely the way it is. These people are sick. Some of us have been sick just like them. And some of us attract them because of it. Now, I'm sure that's not going to be a very popular viewpoint. I'm just a victim of all these hound dogs. I'm an angel. Are you? I mean, honey, are you really that angelic? Just fell from the sky, did you? Never did a single thing. I mean, I'm not doing that kind of shit anymore. At some point, we have to admit where we're culpable. What the problem ends up being is that when we do start doing that kind of work, we feel so guilty. Well, I feel so guilty for ever having been a hound dog in a tree myself that I will try to sacrifice myself and even sometimes the people around me to satiate that dog up in that tree. It's never too late to forgive yourself for who you were or what kind of nasty stuff you've done. It's never too late. But the hound dog in the tree is definitely going to try to tell you that it is too late and that you owe it everything. Even if any of your little transgressions growing up or even after that were not against them. It's like they smell what you've done. They smell the places in your life where you've not been as healthy as you could have been. And they demand payment for their own sickness. We cannot keep replicating that kind of, let's call it nasty magic. And so now I'm going to share with you something very carefully without giving away too many details. My dear ex-husband, my dear friend, the father of my son, let's just say he had become, broken as he was, a bit of a hound dog in a tree. And let's just say that he knew that. One of the most noble things I've ever seen anyone do, ever, is what he did with me way back a long time ago in my 20s. The real reason that I left him when my son was only 18 months old. He heard his own howl. He saw what it was doing. He knew he could not stop howling. Or at least he believed he could not. And one day he looked at me with tears running off his face and asked me to leave. He said he didn't have the strength to do it himself. He said that he loved me too much and needed me too much, but in one blinding moment of clarity, he told me to run. And he said no matter what I do or how much I beg you to come back, you promise me right now you will not do it and save my son. He didn't want his son to become like that. So when I say that he was the kindest, most noble man I've ever met, 
I say this because he was able to talk through his own need and pain and sickness to set me free. How many people do you know like that? Yeah, me either. I've been told that I have a very strange way of viewing things. Um, Sometimes people love it and sometimes people hate it. But the way I look at this particular scenario is that it takes more strength when you're hurting but know that you're ill to let go than it does to keep bleeding people dry. I'm ashamed to say that it wasn't my decision to leave for the health of my own son. For the possible happiness of my own son, I had to. But I'd grown up with a hound dog, and I would have never left without permission. So let's talk about what in the hell this all has to do with magic. While I think it is fine to let people drain you when they seriously do need that kind of help, especially if they have a good shot at getting better. I think when you allow it to go on for years, it is draining your magic. That magic could be better suited to do so many things, so many wonderful things in your community, so many wonderful things for the earth, so many wonderful things for your spirit. But it is a nasty, vampiric drain And to allow it to continue, no matter what kind of martyr syndrome you have, it's it's blasphemy. If you're not going to stop them, they're going to continue. Now, does it mean that you could never have a relationship with that person that was a hound dog in that tree again? No, no. It's just that they need to actually stop depending on your morphine your drug that is somehow covering up any manner of ills. They're addicted in these cases to you. That's kind of how narcissists operate. And when you cut them off, they're going to jones. They're going to lash out. They're going to scream and they're going to wail. But if you have tried and if you have failed to heal them, Really, the only other choice is to see if they can heal themselves. I know that a lot of you have heard the story about the mother with a little girl on an airplane. If not, let's refresh. So the airplane is having oxygen issues of some sort, and the mask falls down between you and your daughter, and you have to make a decision. Does it go on her first, or does it go on you first? And if you will ask these professionals, they will tell you every single time, it goes on you first. I know, it goes against every possible sensibility, especially if you're Southern, that we might have. But it has to, because if you pass out, you can't take care of that child. Especially for us children of narcissists, and especially for those of us who have replicated those tendencies in our own lives. It's sort of an all or nothing kind of thing, isn't it? Where we were that, and now we give everything to make up for that kind of lack. And does that even make sense? We're not taking the opportunity to grow and learn to love ourselves in a healthy way 
we're not finding that place where we can say no and it not be, oh, I'm being selfish. Listen, it is okay to be selfish about air. It is okay to be selfish about living. It is okay to be selfish about being just a little bit content in your life. You don't have to pay all of it. And if I had not woken up to that, it would have been very possible that I could not have been as magic as I am anymore. I wouldn't have had love to give. It was all being drained. You know, I can still hear the howls, but I've walked so far away from the tree that I can also hear me. As a witch, I believe I have a responsibility to me. As a witch, I believe I have to put the oxygen mask on me so that I can make sure that I'm tending well to the earth. Y'all, I remember when I was young thinking that once I got to 30, I would have it all figured out. And then, of course, I thought, nope, nope, it'll be 40. And then I turned 50 and I thought, this is it. Oh, look at me, I'm croning. You know, just because my period stopped didn't mean I was fully there. Oh, then I knew, you know, still working on it, y'all. And while I really love stories about vampires, oh my God, I know I'm not in the popular majority, but I sure did love True Blood. And Anne Rice is one of my favorite authors. And Stephen King's Jerusalem's Lot uh, just did me in when I was a kid the book not the movie but the thing is is that vampires the ones that we actually experience in everyday life they're way more complicated than the ones we see on the screen we don't see a lot of sweet vampires we don't see a lot of their struggles well except maybe in true blood but the image of vampire has always been associated with outright evil outright evil you can avoid most of the time There's always horrible accidents. But we never think about vampires in the way of someone who's been hurt and someone who now just takes too much blood, who just takes too much energy, who demands too much out of your life. We also don't think about them with the eyes of someone that is beloved to us because it's too painful. So at the end of the day... I've had to make decisions about whether or not I want to be a martyr, whether or not I think I still have something to give into the world, because if I do, then I can't be a martyr right now. And how egotistical anyway is it to think that I can do that? So if I'm going to continue, if I'm going to still try to tend my fireflies and make sure they have beautiful places to rest if I'm going to still grow my beautiful trees, well, not really mine, are they? I'm just a steward. If I'm still going to teach anything, if I'm still going to be around for my gorgeous kids, I can't do that. I can't participate in that kind of nasty magic. And this is the weird way I look at things. I wake up every day and I say, Is there something I could do today that could bring magic back to the world? 
in my little tiny way. If there is, I can't answer the howl from the trees. I'm busy. If I want to sacrifice that, if I want to sacrifice myself to that, I'm going to have to wait a little while longer. And they're going to have to find someone else to suck dry. And it does sort of force us into a place of healing. For some of us, stubborn like my ass, that was the only way it was going to happen. I guess having children, not that I think it's for everyone, but for me, having children kind of lashed me to the world and uh, forced that kind of thinking upon me. And the older I get, the more I want to leave them something beautiful. I want to put out something gorgeous. I want to put out magic into the world. Here's the really strange thing. Ready? I have to start with nourishing me. I cannot be a dried out old husk. I have to be fresh. I have to be healthy. I have to be energized in some way, even as I grow older. That's step one, isn't it? Every single day. Be a good steward to me. This also means that I tentatively ask myself, not just what can somebody bring to my life, but I also ask myself, what good can I bring to someone else's life? Now, with these canines up in trees, let me assure you, not a goddamn thing. Not a goddamn thing. But even with people that we try to heal friendships with, if they're also amendable to trying to heal them, they're being honest, they're being forthright, they're being fair, I still ask myself, specifically with one particular friend who I've warred with for over a decade, what can I bring her? What would be fair? And if it is only pain, then I'm not being magical in this situation. I'm just being a vampire. The hardest thing I think I've done is ask myself, is this relationship unbalanced? Am I the vampire? And if I can see in any possible way that I just need someone, that that's what it is, that I don't bring anything to them, to their lives to make it more beautiful, if there's no kismet to the entire situation, no serendipity at all, then I need to restrain myself. And that also is magical. So many of my friends in the last few years, I believe, have gotten their feelings hurt. Especially when I am hurt, I'm dealing with some kind of deep anguish and pull in and I go into my little cave. Now I do it to excess. I go way too far. But my impulse is to not bring that kind of pain to them. I'm learning how to hand them little tiny bits of it and say, I'm hurting a little bit, or even I'm hurting a lot, but they can't be my morphine. No more addictions. Not like when I was 30, 35, 38. No more like that. And I can't let them get addicted to me. And I'm not talking about refusing deep and abiding, wonderful relationships. And I'm not talking about keeping score. 
I just think it's sometimes important to think of these kind of relationships like a beautiful space out in the woods. Am I bringing a bunch of trash that I'm not even willing to pick up? Am I closing out other people from being able to see this beautiful little space in the woods? Am I criticizing it constantly and making it all my friend's fault? But the most important question I ask myself these days about friendships and relationships is this. Is anything weird howling from a tree? And finally, because I see the time, I would like to address my beautiful friend one more time. You taught me to listen for that sound so well that when I heard it from you and I knew you were not going to save yourself, I believed you. Thank you for that. You saved your son And in multiple ways, you saved me. You were the first one who ever helped me fight the demons from my childhood. You couldn't stand to see me hurt any more than I had been. I've thought about you from the moment I got the call. 58 was way too young. Thank you for loving me when I didn't know how. Your voice has become an echo in my head. I hope wherever you are, you believe that the sacrifice you made was worth it. Next life, my friend. We'll meet again. I can see you smiling over the pines. And I know you're no longer in pain. There's this movie that means a lot to me. It's called Elizabeth Town. And in the very end, Susan Sarandon's character has spent decades with this man. And she stands up on the stage, and she does this wonderful thing. His love somehow gave her the bravery, as she got older, to learn to tap dance. And so, she does so, to their favorite song. If you hadn't have done what you did, I would have never gotten a doctorate. I would have never grown as a person. I would have never found my husband, who you were so gracious to. Your sacrifice has meant everything. If anyone deserves peace, it is you. My tap dance for you, my dear friend, is in the eyes of your son. He is so kind to his mother. He's such a good man. And no, we'll never have a lot of money, baby. But you know what? You gave us love. And that is our tap dance for you. Unfortunately, we cannot play copyrighted music on this podcast, but his favorite song was Slaughter, Fly to the Angels. Please do fly, my dear. The Southern Fried Witch podcast will be blacking out on Sunday in honor of a dear friend. Blessed be y'all.